Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Great hymns of reminding us of, of Christ and his faithfulness to us and And what a joy it is to be able to be in his care. Take your Bibles this morning, open them to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is going to be our text this morning as we continue our exposition through this great gospel of Mark. And the title of today's sermon is Glory Through Suffering. Let me read our our passage before us, just a handful of verses, starting in verse 9. It reads there, And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen, until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first and restore all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it was written of him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the joy it is to to have the the sun rise and have air in our, our lungs the ability to function and, and to move, knowing that as we gathered our, our thoughts this morning and get ready to head out the door, we, we come with a desire to know you, to have your word speak to us, to, to shape our thoughts, to help us understand rightly theology that, that helps us understand who you are. We thank you for your word, for it does that for us. We don't have to grope in the dark. We don't have to rely on man to try to figure out exactly what you have said about you and yourself. Your word is holy and inspired. It settles what is right and what is true. It also points out what is error and false. And so we come this morning, Lord, with hearts of submission to what the Word of God says. Spirit, teach us. Be with your servant. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me say this before we begin our exposition, that I have been thoroughly enjoying where we've been in the Gospel of Mark. To say the least, some of these last texts that we've been studying have been a delight. I get messages throughout the week, 
comments. And I appreciate your encouraging words in, in the midst of the study and just wanting to press on all the more, trying to understand exactly what God has given us. But they're a blessing to me, and so thank you for that. Because many of you are, are seeing the joy of understanding the truth. Everything from Peter pronouncing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, to Jesus proclaiming the cost to follow him, the cost to be his disciple. And what we saw last week, this marvelous transfiguration, this pending glory, all of this has been a tremendous blessings to our souls. And at the heart of this, the place where the disciples, and even the Jews, even today, miss, is the reality of the messianic purpose that Jesus, when he first comes, will suffer and die. The truth that he must be rejected, scoffed, mocked, crucified, die, and then rise on the third day. All of that is at the heart of the gospel. All of that is at the, 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 the way that God has, has given us the Old Testament to, to prophesy about exactly who, one, who the Messiah was, and two, what he will do. To miss this piece, that Jesus must come, that Jesus must suffer and die and then rise on the third day, misses the gospel. This is such a vital truth that it became the meat of the apostles' preaching. When you think about Paul and Peter in the book of Acts and the rest of the apostles as they preached after Jesus' ascension, it was all about Christ being crucified, dying, and rising. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles' foolishness. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, for I delivered to you as first importance. In other words, Paul is saying, above all other things, I preached this, I delivered this to you. And he says, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. We think about Romans chapter 10, verse 9, where it says that if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, the heart of the gospel is a proclamation of a death and dying Savior. Yes, it speaks about his resurrection, but the preaching of the gospel is about the cross of Christ and his resurrection. It is the cross and the resurrection that we proclaim. Christ crucified, Christ risen. The cross and the suffering it entails, his death and his resurrection, is all so important for us to get Jesus right. It is critical to our understanding of the gospel there can be no kingdom for anyone, no salvation for anyone 
no heaven or eternal life for anyone apart from the Messiah dying on the cross and then resurrecting. The problem at hand, however, is that the disciples are flabbergasted at the thought of a Messiah suffering and dying. It wasn't a part of their theology. They couldn't understand. All they could do is look at the glory and what was going to come and the reality that the, the Messiah, he will reign. I think about just even in our, our study of the Gospel of Mark, Peter rebukes Jesus when he said that he was going to come and suffer and die and then resurrect. It's as if Peter, and we kind of laugh at that because just the gall of Peter who, who got affirmation that, yes, you got one question right, Peter, that, yes, I am the Messiah. <clears throat> and in his boldness, he tells Jesus, listen, your theology is wrong. That he got all the Old Testament prophecies wrong. And then he was there to set them straight. And in turn, Jesus rebukes Peter, calls his thoughts about the Messiah and the Messianic purpose is coming from Satan himself. I mean, he just dismantles, took the air out of his sails, everything that Peter and the disciples were thinking about what the Messiah would do in his coming. And then in the kindness of God, I mean, this is just so beautiful. In the kindness of God, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up on a mountain and gives them a glimpse of his pending glory. Jesus literally transforms before them in all of his Shekinah glory, all of his radiance, appears Moses and Elijah and the voice coming out of a cloud, God himself, all that that they would experience only to encourage the disciples that yes, there is going to be coming a, a pending glory, but yet it's in the future. You would think that that experience would be enough to get their understanding back in line with what Jesus is doing, do you not? However, they were still confused. They still had a Messiah in their thinking that, that would have an earthly reign with no suffering, no death, no crucifixion. In their minds, only domination of a, of a Roman oppression where ultimately when the Messiah came, he would take his throne and all the nations would bow. And so when we approached even verse 31, looking ahead in this chapter, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus again is going to tell them that he is going to suffer and die. Look ahead there. Look at verse 31 of Mark chapter 9. It says, therefore, he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. And then, verse 32, but they did not understand this statement. Is it that they didn't understand or didn't want to? I mean, how often in our own theology do we want God and only maybe the good things that God offers? That is so much what the prosperity gospel is all about. All these things that you're going to be blessed by. They don't want any suffering, no trials. They only want the good things. But that is not what the gospel preaches. That's not what the, the scriptures teach. They did not understand the statement, and they were 
get this, afraid to ask him. And you wonder yourself, were they afraid because they were going to get rebuked? They already saw Peter get his heart dismantled. Yet they were still holding on to a theology that was wrong. You can sense that the disciples are are having a hard time with this to the point that they, they were even afraid to even ask Jesus. And so if you've ever been a part of conversations where people look at you with that glazed look and they kind of say, okay, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, this is where the disciples were at. They just nodded, gave the impression they understood. Why? Because fear had gripped them. And then we get to Mark chapter 10. And in verse 32 through 34, we, we see this again as Jesus teaches his disciples as they were heading towards Jerusalem for all these events to take place. It reads there, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, I mean, look at the, the patience of our Lord. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. I mean, you would think, surely now they would get it. But when we get to the end of that portion of scriptures that I just read in Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 34, We see the next words out of the disciples' mouths. And you know what they were talking about? They were talking about places of authority in the kingdom. They were talking about who's going to sit on your left, who's going to sit on your right. Places of authority. And you've got to ask yourself a question. Why did they ask that? Continue repeating that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. Suffer, die, rise. Why did they ask for a seat at his left hand or right hand. It's only because they still believed in their own theology. That the coming Messiah will come, conquer, and have an earthly reign. And they wanted prominence in that kingdom. There was no thought of the Messiah dying and then rising that was alien to everything they had in their theology, even though Jesus had taught them at least three times in the Gospel of Mark that we've seen. No doubt, I bet he was continually teaching them. Come on, rockheads, get it. Come on. Do you ever feel that way in your own Christian life? Come on, rockhead, get it. And so in the kindness of the Lord, our our passage this morning, again, reiterates, Jesus' messianic plan, that the Messiah will suffer, die, and rise in three days. Simply put, the suffering that the Messiah will suffer will happen before his glory will be shown. The principal truth is that suffering will always precede glory. And that is throughout time and and history. When you think about John the Baptist, suffering, his head got cut off before he entered into the kingdom of God. 
You think about the prophets. You think about even the disciples themselves. Before they would see the glory of the kingdom, they too would die. Suffer for the things of Christ. Which tells me something real quick in our theology. Do not be surprised. Though suffering may be at different degrees in our own life, but for the cause for the one who follows Jesus Christ, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials before glory arrives. And so what Jesus does in our passage this morning is gives us three disclosures about this truth. The truth that in order for the Messiah to be glorified, he must first suffer. Those disclosures are there in your outline. The first one is the mystery of the glory through suffering revealed in verses 9 through 10. Look again at these verses. It reads, As they, speaking about Jesus, Peter, James, and John, were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders. And in the Greek, this is a a strong imperative, a strong command. And the command is not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. I don't know about you. I mean, I don't know what type of person you are during Christmas. I mean, I like to buy the gifts, and I like to share the gifts. Maybe not on Christmas Day, but as soon as I buy them, right? You are just so whelmed with what you are delighting in giving that you just can't help to share, which, by the way, drives my wife crazy. She has a rule in our family that if anybody knows their gifts before we open them on Christmas Day, you will not receive them. That is difficult. That is difficult. Jesus says, hey, when you see and all that you've seen with the transfiguration, with the glory, all this beautiful thing that is happening, that you saw Moses, that you saw Elijah, that you heard the voice of God, keep quiet. Now, this isn't uncommon for what we've seen in our study in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus healed and raised Jairus' daughter, remember that? He says, don't tell anybody. He continually told people, after many of his miracles, to hold off and telling anybody. And the question is, how do we contain that? Or when can this be released? Well, the scripture tells us. Notice what it says at the end of verse 9. It says, until the Son of Man rose from the dead. That is the restriction that Jesus wants to keep mouth silent until the resurrection happens. And as we studied this in the past, Jesus continually said this because he wanted the whole messianic plan to be unveiled. He wanted to show it all. He wanted people to understand. If you imagine the the many miracles in which he has done, if the people would have just went out and told them, people would have got the theology that, hey, he's a miracle worker. He's a guy who comes and heals and does great things. They would fall short of the truthfulness of what, God wanted the Messiah to do. And so he says, wait. Wait until the Son of Man, the Messiah, rose from the dead. And I think it's simply put, that is when the gospel is complete. 
Matter of fact, this tells us that the gospel couldn't be totally understood until the resurrection and ascension of the Messiah had happened. Now look at how the disciples responded in verse 10. They seized. Literally in the Greek, they jumped on it. They were anticipating what he just said. They literally take the opportunity. When he takes a breath, they seize the opportunity. They seized upon that statement discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. Now, you're probably thinking, well, that's pretty elementary, isn't it? But that's not what they're thinking. They understand that somebody dies and somebody rises. I mean, they, they understand the concept. We understand that concept. But I think what Mark is trying to help us understand is the reality of the theology. How does this play in the messianic plane, in their own mind, in their own theology? Here, life experiences kind of, they they put our theology on test. And it helps us to understand what we believe. And, And often, when life happens, it exposes a lot of our false theology. We sing a song Whatever my God does is right. The providence and the sovereignty of God. Some people have a theology that they control the circumstances in which they are involved in. Might not understand why, but whatever God does is right. Here they are trying to understand theology in the midst of what they have just seen. They're coming down the mountain after experiencing the most amazing event that they will ever see with their eyes. I mean, what they saw was praiseworthy. And Jesus says you can't talk about it until he dies and then resurrects. I mean, this is the great anticipation of knowing and hearing and seeing and yet not telling anybody condition on what they were going to say. And in essence, this is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling the disciples, telling us that we must get the gospel right. It must be complete for us to understand his messianic promise. The only way that is going to take place is for Jesus to to suffer and to die and then to resurrect, and then you can go and tell the whole world. You think about it. The proclamation, the command to go tell everybody about Jesus comes after what? His ascension. After his death, resurrection, ascension, he comes and he says, go make disciples. To stop short of his death and his resurrection would would make many think that Jesus came to be this miracle worker, to be a healer, to be even a person who fights social justices in the world. However, beloved, the gospel, to get Jesus right, is to understand that he died and that he rose again. And he restrains those around him, those people who are his followers, giving them a prohibition to stop sharing until this event happens. 
Don't say anything until you get the full message. And in the flow of truth, it is only after his death and resurrection that the Great Commission comes, like I said. It's only after his death and resurrection and the ascension that the Holy Spirit comes. It is only after the death and resurrection and ascension that those who are saved and redeemed by the saving gospel that tells us that we have a Lord and Savior who died for our sins, who resurrected from the dead, it is only then that those who are saved are called to be witnesses to the world. The message, the gospel, is not that Jesus is a healer. The gospel is not that Jesus is some kind of political liberator. The gospel is not that the Jesus came to bring social reform and that he's a promoter of a social gospel. That is not the reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to die, to suffer, and go to the cross for you and your sins. He came to atone for your sins, for my sins, and not just stay there in the grave, but yet to show his power over the penalty of sin and death and resurrect. Can you say amen to that? He conquered sin and death through his resurrection. And so Jesus tells his disciples to hold off telling others about what they just saw in his transfiguration and seeing Moses, hearing God, seeing Elijah, until he suffers and dies, until it's complete. So how did these three disciples do with this command? Well, we have to go to another gospel to get, know the answer. In Luke chapter 9, verse 36, it gives us the answer. Luke tells us there, and speaking about this event, coming off the mountain, giving this prohibition, it says there in verse 36, And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things in which they have seen. They were obedient. I think that was a divine obedience. I think God helped them. I think that they were able to hear what they heard from the Lord and was able to, by divine help, keep quiet. So the mystery is again revealed. He's continuing to tell them that he's going to suffer and then die and then rise again. Next comes a second disclosure in verse 11, and that is the confusion. They're still confused about this glory through suffering. Look at verse 11. It reads, They, Peter, James, and John, asked him, Jesus, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? I mean, they are funneling his words and his thoughts through their own minds of exactly what he's telling them. These three disciples are trying to put the pieces together. They just saw the transfiguration of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Moses and Elijah, remember, has, have been dead for a long time. They also knew in their understanding of things surrounding the Messiah that Elijah must come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. We know that from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, where it's prophesied there, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. I mean, this prophecy is, is given long after Elijah 
has been taken up into heaven. Remember, he doesn't die. They understood that there would be one like Elijah that God would give before the Messiah came. And I just love our Lord. He always gives us precursors, gives us markers, so that we know without a shadow of a doubt who is the Messiah and what he's going to do. And so there was going to be a promised forerunner. And in Malachi 4.6, before the Messiah comes, Elijah must come first. And as they were coming down the mountain, seeing the transfiguration, I mean, they just saw Elijah. They're trying to put all of this in their mind. What is going on? They know that Elijah is to be the forerunner, but they already, Peter's already confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. They're trying to put this together. And so they're trying to understand. Remember, even when Jesus asked Peter, who do the crowd say that I am? Some of them said, you're Elijah. So they're trying to understand. But there's also another prophecy in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, that is so key in their understanding of what Jesus is teaching them here. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, it, it tells us there about one who's coming. A voice is calling, it says there, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. One's going to come, one's going to be a forerunner, one's going to proclaim that Christ is coming. And the joy of scriptures and putting the pieces together, we know that in Matthew chapter 3, that Matthew applies that prophecy to who? To John the Baptist. Literally says that. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Confused, but the Lord is so kind to put the pieces together. And he's telling them, he's leading up to what we'll see in our third disclosure. He gives clarity about this glory through suffering. He's going to make it known. Look at verse 12 with me. Look how Jesus responds to them. And he said to them, Elijah does come first, or Elijah does first come and restore all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come. And they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. I mean, he's just bringing them along in their theology. They have a right understanding that there's going to be one like Elijah who's going to be crying out from the wilderness and calling them to repent and, and trust. And we also know that what? John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he's clarifying their this whole matter of their theology of, of what has just happened with the transfiguration and what the messianic purpose is and, and who is this one like Elijah? And so Jesus is saying Elijah, or the one like Elijah, who Matthew tells us is John the Baptist, has already come. He is the one that identified 
Jesus as the Messiah. And at his baptism, heaven opens up, dove descends, a voice comes out and says, here is my beloved son. Definitive affirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. And did the world do what they wanted to do with this forerunner? Absolutely. They killed John the Baptist. They did to him whatever they wished. And we know that story. And then Jesus draws the disciples to the truth. I mean, he inserts this. He continues to teach them that, that the Son of God, or the Son of Man, excuse me, in verse 12 there, that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. We know the Son of Man being a Messianic title. We know that he's continued to teach them and help them understand that in your theology, you must have this that the Messiah will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. That word contempt has the idea of being illy treated, has the idea of being abused and suffering, knowing that it will lead to death. Jesus is simply teaching them and us that suffering must happen before his eternal reign and kingdom. Like I said, this was true throughout the pages of scriptures. We know as Christians that this is not our home. We know that suffering and trials will be part and parcel of those who call upon the name of Jesus. Suffering will precede glory. I think that's our simple takeaway this morning. I mean, not only standing theologically that the messianic purpose is that Jesus was going to suffer and die and rise, that he was going to be a, a, a suffering servant. I mean, that was very clear in what we read in Isaiah chapter 53. He had to die. It was his plan and it was his desire to die. Why? Because that is the only means by which men and women can be saved. He is the only sacrifice for our sins. There isn't any other work, any other means, any other person. The cross is what we glory in. His death and resurrection is what we glory in. It's not a coincidence that most churches that that believe in the messianic promise and believe in, in the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ has a symbol of suffering. Knowing that, Jesus often taught us that we won't be greater than the master, will we? Suffering might be different for each one of us, but suffering nonetheless will come to those who love Jesus Christ. And we embrace that suffering. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, as we wrap up here, after you have suffered for a little while, I love those words, right? You're going to suffer. 
But Peter tells us it's only going to be a little while. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? It tells us that, yeah, suffering might come, but, but we have somebody who's greater than the suffering that we endure. It tells us that suffering will always precede glory. Oh, we know that the world can take our bodies, but we also know this, the world can't take our souls. Why? Because it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, who died, who atoned for your sins, and resurrected from the grave. Beloved, there's no glory without the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no gospel without the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, again, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the simple truth in which it brings. First, Lord, I, I pray for just our own spiritual pride. There are times where we think that you should do according to our own theology. And yet your word brings us back and conforms us into exactly what to think about you, your purposes and your promises. The Word of God helps us understand exactly why you must suffer and why you must die and why you resurrected. Father, we thank you for the Word of God of, of, of just clearing our minds and our hearts to what is right and what is true. Oh, the enemy uses our false theology to blind us from the reality of what is right and what is good and what is true. That's why we ever are in the scriptures asking and pleading and praying that you teach us. So that the word can, can make us straight. And hold fast to its truth. Father, I also pray that you would prepare us, that you would help us in, the, in light of the pending suffering that maybe even some are engaged in now, but most likely all of us will be engaged in the near future. We pray that you would embolden us. May we have a, a heavenly perspective knowing that this suffering is for, as Peter says, a little while knowing full and well that the one who strengthens us, the one that saves us, the one that redeems us, the one who is going, that is the one who's going to embrace us. So prepare our hearts for that. Allow us to, to walk in that grace and that truth, knowing that you are the great shepherd who will walk with us in that suffering. 
suffering will precede glory. We love you, and we praise you. We pray this in the one who has suffered for us, who's atoned, who spilt his blood for us, who died, who rose again, and who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. We pray in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.